Well, we are going through the book of Acts right now. And we jumped into chapter 17 last week that I think could serve as a centerpiece for the entire book of Acts. Because in chapter 17, you can see Paul's heart. And you can see Paul's ability to connect with his culture and to communicate the gospel clearly. So if you didn't hear the message last week, jump online and listen to it. Because that's where I unpacked and tried to talk about his heart. Today I want to talk some more about what did he do to communicate the gospel clearly and effectively in his culture that we might do. So go to Acts 17 and let's read it again. Acts 17 beginning in verse 16. Actually let's start in verse 15. Acts 17 verse 15. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them, say the name, Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath, and all things. And he is made from one blood, every nation of men, to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now commands all Men everywhere to repent. 
Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and say it believed among them Dionysius the Areopagite a woman named Damaris and others with them so what can we learn from Paul that could help us today here's the first thing I want you to get number one don't think that you have to do all the talking Paul didn't Look at what it says in verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned with them. It doesn't say he did a big gospel dump on them. It doesn't say that he talked nonstop without taking a breath. That's what some Christians think they're supposed to do. They're so afraid of giving any space for the person to say anything back. Paul didn't do that. And that's not the best way to communicate. That Greek word reasoned is the word dialegami, where we get our English word dialogue, which has a much greater sense of a conversation back and forth where you ask questions to learn what the other person thinks. And then it's not enough to just ask a question. You listen well to what they're saying instead of just formulating your next statement. You know how you can do that? You can ask a question, then you're not listening. You're planning what you're going to say next, regardless of what they say. Don't do that. Ask questions and listen well. Nothing says to someone that you're really listening well, like asking another clarifying question when they take a breath instead of making a statement. And they take a breath and you say, that's very interesting. Tell me more. How did you come to that conclusion? What And we're not manipulating. We're not pretending. You really want to know what did they think and how did they arrive there? You ask questions. Just recently, a man at the gym came over to me and said, hey, are you still praying for me to go up instead of down when I die? (laughs) And that wasn't just random. We've had many, many conversations for several years now. So I've tried to befriend all kinds of people and learn their names and talk to them. So this was not our first conversation. And so I said to him, hey, I gave you the book, How Good is Good Enough. So you should know that nobody is good. Because he had said he thinks he's good enough to go to heaven. So there's this little book that's great. It's in our resource center. How good is good enough? And the answer is, none of us are good enough. Only, I said, only faith in Jesus Christ. Now, none of us are good enough. Only faith in Jesus Christ is the hope for any of us to go to heaven. And when I said that, he said, that's my sticking point. I said, you don't believe in Jesus? He said, oh, I believe in Jesus, that he lived, that he was probably a good man, a teacher or something. But it's that whole son of God, equal to God thing that I have so much trouble with. And so I asked, have you ever investigated Jesus, who he is, for yourself carefully by reading any of the four gospels? He said, no. And so I just took a minute to to describe that each of the Gospels tells us about Jesus, but each one has a unique focus. So I shared a little bit about each Gospel. He said, you know what? 
I think I'll read Mark. Now, of course, he said, now, I just got a library book, so it's going to have to come after that. I'm like, all right. But I choose Mark. I said, great. And I went back to my machine, and he went back to his machine. We went back to doing what men do in the gym, sweating and not talking to other people. Normally, it's like an unspoken, agreed-upon rule. We do not talk to each other. But sometimes it happens. But as I was working on my machine, I felt prompted to go back over to him one more time. So I went back over and I said, hey, when you read the Gospel of Mark, I would love to get together with you and answer any questions that you have. And I will not attack you. I will not try to destroy you. I will listen. You can say, what about? What about? I don't understand. This can't be. How could? I said, I would love that. I said, most of my life, I'm surrounded by Christians. And I said, it would be great for me to hear from somebody else so that I could rethink why I believe what I believe. And then I added this. I said, you know what? I said, you pick a cold, rainy Friday. That's my day off. And we'll go get some bourbon together and I'll try to answer any questions you have. Now, if you're thinking, Brad, why did you add bourbon? I'll tell you why. Because we've not just talked about Jesus. We've talked about Spain, St. Louis, bourbon, and many other things that we both like. We've had entire conversations before where I never brought up Jesus. Did you know that's okay? Well, I think you do because some of you say, I do that all the time. I never bring up Jesus. (laughs) Somewhere in the middle. But I just want you to know as a pastor, I'm not trying to get you guys to stop talking about anything but Jesus and get over here and only just say, Jesus, Jesus. It's okay. In fact, it's quite helpful to have other things that you can talk about, that you care about, and that you can connect with. I said, I'd love to get together with you and answer any of the questions that you have. So let me encourage you to think about, because here's what Paul did. Here's something else I want you to notice from this passage that's worth pointing out in how Paul connected with his culture He knew enough about their culture there in Athens. Do you realize? He knew enough about their culture there in Athens that he could draw in some of their own writers as a part of his argument. Did you hear it? That's what he's doing in verses 28 and 29. When he refers to some of their own poets, Paul knew poetry. Why? Because the poets in that day were considered great philosophers. And so Paul actually quotes from two of their own. He had them. In memory, he quotes from two of their own Greek poets, Epimenides and Eratus, as a part of his argument. So let me encourage you to think about something as a Christian. Don't just dive in and get swallowed up by our culture. We've got Christians who have done that. But also, don't live so cut off from it that you have no idea what's going on in it. Because many times... Those can be places, listen to me, where you, you get a foot in their world and from that foot you can pivot or bridge towards the gospel and spiritual conversations. I'm talking about art. I'm talking about art, literature. Read things other than just Christian books. Last year I read Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and it's actually not a horror thing. The movies turned it into that. It's a classic. It's excellent. And it's good that you can talk to people about things like this. I I read Great Expectations by Dickens. I I sometimes read the bestsellers. 
read some of what people are reading, listen to some of what people are listening to, and go to some of the places people are going to so that you can get a foot in their world and from that place can often pivot or bridge towards the gospel and spiritual conversations. It's okay to know something about and enjoy something about things that are outside of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, it might make you much more effective in connecting. Whatever it is for you, art, music, literature, history, architecture, sports, cooking, and so much more. Because I hope you realize there is not this wall of separation. There are, quote, spiritual things. And then all the rest is the world. Folks, art, literature, music, history, sports, cooking, and so much more. You realize all of these things, to some degree, are a reflection of the goodness and beauty of our great God. I'm already in the Christmas mode. And for me, the Christmas mode is not ho, ho, ho. It's Messiah, Handel. I've listened to the whole thing already. And I've started over again. And it's so good. Why does music move us? Why does great literature move us? Why do, these, why do we have taste buds with all these different things regarding the cooking and art and beauty and literature? And these are reflections of the goodness of our great God. Get in there and know something about it and have a place by which you can pivot and connect for them. That God that's behind these good things. Here's what I want you to get next. It's great to have some conversations. It's great to talk about any number of things. But, oh my goodness, don't fail to get to the heart of our message. Don't feel to get to the heart. Not again, like I already said, not in every conversation. I don't feel like I have to get to Jesus or a full-blown gospel in every conversation. I want to build relationships and look for opportunities to plant a seed. Sometimes all I do is plant a seed. But sometimes I get to say more. That same, that same guy one time came up to me just random and just said, you've got one minute. Give me a definition of mercy and a definition of grace. That's... That's so exciting. And I did. He didn't want more. He was backing away as soon as I finished. But he's thinking about something. And and he said, I told my wife, you're my pastor. I have a pastor. I said, well, I wish you'd come to my church. But anyway, (laughs) like, don't fail to get to the heart of our message, you guys. Bring it back to Jesus and the resurrection. And trust me, you will have to be the one to move it there. Because most people will park it on whatever the hottest current social issue is and want you to defend and explain yourself as a Christian, whether it's racism or immigration or build the wall, don't build the wall, healthcare, not healthcare. And I'm not saying Christianity, the gospel does not have implications on those things, but those are not the most important things. Don't stay stuck in those, but you'll have to move it. And I have very few people resist when, don't, don't hear me saying that you say, that, that doesn't matter. I never answer that way. Try to give an answer, but then move it, move it, move it to Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Paul did in Athens. Look at the end of verse 18. He preached to them who and what? Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. Look at, look at verse 31. 
where he says, God will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to how many? All by raising him from the dead. Oh, listen to me. Paul may have started with the altar to the unknown God and he may have quoted some of their own Greek poets. But he moved it back to Jesus and the resurrection because that is the very heart of our message that makes Christianity unique and Jesus unique from all other religions. We, I hope you realize, we have a savior, not a system. And we have the only founder leader who ever conquered death. No one else even claims to have done so. No other religious leader even claims to have done so. Jesus, exclusive. Muhammad is in the grave. Buddha is in the grave. Mary Baker Eddy is in the grave. And Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell are in the grave, along with every other man or woman who ever started a religion. But Jesus lived and died and rose again, conquering sin and death and Satan. Making Christianity exclusively unique and different in a category unto itself that God came down to us and revealed himself to us. So make sure you understand this dialogue that we're supposed to be having with people and looking for opportunities is far more than some kind of intellectual exercise. We're not pointing them to a philosophy. We're not pointing them to a worldview. We're pointing them to a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, who rose from the dead. So I want you to notice something else about the resurrection. Paul, I hope you saw it. Paul points to the resurrection. He points to the resurrection as the proof or assurance for everything else he's been saying about God. He points to the resurrection. That's why I hope you realize as a Christian, we can't let go of the resurrection. Don't act like, I don't really know if it matters if he physically rose again or not. Maybe that was just a spiritual thing. Maybe that part's myth. The The entire person of Jesus Christ and Christianity and the gospel rest upon the foundation of the resurrection because that's what sets it apart when someone says, How can I know this is true? Why should I believe this? How is this different? Resurrection. He points to the resurrection as the proof or assurance for everything else that he's been saying. Look at it in verse 31. Because he has God, he is God right there, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man. Who's the man? Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this To all by raising him from the dead. The NIV says he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. The the New American Standard says having furnished proof of this to all. Proof of what? Proof of what? That there is a God. Remember this conversation started by him saying, let me tell you about the unknown God, the one you don't know. The resurrection is proof that there is a God. 
and that he has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ so that the times of ignorance are now over and he calls all men to now repent and he will judge anyone who rejects Jesus. In other words, Paul points to the resurrection as proof that this transcendent, we talked about this last week, transcendent, high and lifted up God, who is also eminent right here and near, truly exists and is now calling all men to repent and believe in Jesus. And you can feel it right now as I use the word repent and I use the word judgment and I This talk of repentance and judgment and resurrection triggered the same kind of response that you get today. Because those philosophers understood that the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant that Christianity was claiming something about its founder that was far different than any other religion. Which leads me to the third thing I want you to see. As you engage with people today, number three... Don't let them walk away thinking that Jesus is just one of many options. I know we live in that day, you guys. I know there's options, 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 options. There's got to be options. There's got to be options. You will not have served people well if you allow them to walk away thinking, okay, that's nice, Jesus, I'll add that to my little list of possible gods, possible paths, possible ways. Paul knew that he needed to do more than just present Jesus as one of many gods. That's why he basically goes for the juggler in verses 30 and 31. When he says, truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands all Men everywhere to repent. Because he's pointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Oh yes, Christmas celebrates that little baby in the manger. But folks, that little baby is full grown. And he's coming back as king of kings. And he is going to judge the world in righteousness. Yes, right now he says, whosoever will may come. Yes, right now he says, come unto me all who... Labor and are weary and burdened. But this Jesus is coming back as a king and a judge of this world. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear my voice, today the spirit is calling. Today, God the Father, holy, 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 is waiting and is reserving that more would come. That more would come to faith in Christ. That more would hear. That more would be drawn. In his loving kindness and mercy and patience. But Jesus is coming back, not as a little baby, but as a king. And so Paul just steps right into it. Because he's using the word repent. He's talking about judgment. And he's talking about the exclusivity of Jesus being the man whom God will use to judge the world. And it fell on them like a bombshell. Just like it does on people today. Because you realize Paul's not giving any space or place for any other gods. And that is just so unacceptable today, right? It's just unacceptable in our culture. But Paul doesn't say, keep in mind, keep in mind now, 
There's some good that can be found in all these other gods. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, keep in mind, there's a spark in each of these other spiritual paths that can lead you into the light. He makes no room for any other God being equal to Jesus Christ. In fact, what Paul does is he draws a line in the sand between Jesus and all other gods. And basically says it's either faith in Jesus or damnation. There is no middle ground. Why? Well, because God has come down to us in the person of Jesus so that, get this, he talked about people searching and groping in hopes of finding God. We would have never found God. God came to us. The search is over. Because God came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now it's a time for decision. It's a time of decision now. No more debating. No more philosophizing. No more trying to piece it all together because we don't have to guess anymore. God has come down to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean for you and me today? It means, my friend, the search is over. And the day of repentance is here. Repent means a change of mind and heart that is so strong, it changes the direction of your life. Here's what I believe, you guys. That word searching, right? So many people say they're searching. What I believe when you ask more questions and listen, that they actually mean is that they prefer to stay in a search mode so that a decision never has to be made. I'm searching. Oh, I'm searching. I'm searching. So many people that say that, I think they want to stay in a search mode so that they can stay where they are and keep thinking what they think, wanting what they want, and doing what they want to do so there would be no change, no implications. You think about it with our smartphone for directions. You pull it out, whether it's Google Maps or Waze or whatever you might use, and you, and you try to get directions. I don't know if it happens to you. It happens to me. And I get this spinning wheel which means it's not uploaded the data yet. And I'm always like, I'm almost to where I need to make a decision. Please upload. It's like searching, searching. It hasn't uploaded the data. I don't have a strong enough connection. Therefore, I don't know what to do. Stay, stay, stay. And that's frustrating to us with our phones and directions. But I find that spiritually, there are a lot of human beings that prefer the spinning wheel, search mode, search mode. Because when you ask them more questions about their searching, if someone was really searching, you think they were getting a book, they're checking into this, they're, they're not doing anything. They just say, I am still searching. The truth is that is often a smoke screen and a means for preserving and protecting their right to stay where they are and keep living the way they're living. Our world loves to talk about the journey. It's the journey. It's the search. It's not the arrival. Barf. I, I don't know about you. I don't want to drive forever and not get there. I can do that long haul when I know I'll see the beaches of Destin. I will see. Oh, it's the journey. Shut up. I have no problem with saying enjoy the journey. 
but I want to get there. The search for truth should be that you get to truth. And when you get there, then you have a decision to make. Here's what I've learned. And when you get there with Christianity, you don't find a pile of parchments. You find a person and there he stands. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he makes incredible mind-blowing claims that no other religious leader made. And now you have a decision to make. You cannot say he's just a good man or a teacher. He claimed to be God. Good people don't do that. We lock them away. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord Jesus. And so many people don't want to come to that point because they don't want to have to change. So please understand, this message of Jesus and the resurrection, you got to understand, we go around saying this is such good news. This is such good news. And it is, we call it good news because the Greek word is euangelion, a good news message. But here's what you need to realize, folks. This message is alarming to the human heart in its natural condition. And so even though we call it good news, the human heart will recoil from the thought of a redirection or repentance and calling someone else Lord. The human heart in its natural condition recoils from all of that. So don't be surprised, number four, don't be surprised by the different reactions you get. Notice how many different reactions you see in our chapter. Because it's still a snapshot of what you see today. I love it. The, the reactions you see in Acts 17 are, the, is a, are a snapshot of what you still see today. Verse 32 says, some mocked. In other words, some, I've told you before, Paul was very smart, the equivalent of a PhD, but... Some still thought Paul was way out of his league, standing on Mars Hill in the city of Athens because their city was home to Plato's Academy and Aristotle's Lyceum, two of the greatest philosophical academies the world has ever known. And they're sitting there saying, that's who we are. Who do you think you are? Well, he's out of his league. They mocked, sneered. But there's another group right there in verse 32. Some wanted to hear more. They said, we will hear you again on this matter. And look at me. I believe that's the category that most people are in. That's a category most people are in today. Because I hope you realize very few people come to faith in Christ the first time they hear the gospel message. Did you? I bet there'd be just a handful of hands. Oh, first time I heard that, like, and I know it exists. I've got a friend in, in Seattle who was, who was sitting on the campus of, of Biola, not Biola, but some big time California tech college. He'd never heard the gospel. He's sitting under a tree and, and some guy just comes over and shares the four spiritual laws, just random. He said, as soon as he shared it with me, I'm like, yes. And he believed and he said two weeks later, I was walking around the campus doing the same thing. And now he's a pastor of a church our size. So God can do that. But it's rare. Very few people come to faith in Christ. And even if, even if I could ask him more questions, we'd probably find some other seeds have been planted. Some other things perhaps have been done leading up to that. Though he says, I'd never heard the gospel message presented. 
And he believed. But most people, most people, I hope you realize, the Holy Spirit has to break down and peel away layers of an already existing world view or an established way of thinking that people have settled into. Because we're not dogs, we're not houseplants, which means we think and we interpret and we try to formulate, whether you've ever written it down or not, we try to formulate a worldview. What's going to keep me going? Why do I believe what I believe? What is this all about? They have some worldview or established way of thinking they've already settled into. And the Holy Spirit has to break that down and peel away those layers. And that process can take and often does years. And so we just get to be one point along the way of being a part of that process as we obey the Holy Spirit. Just a few weeks ago, I read the testimony of Afshin Ziafar, an Iranian man who grew up in Houston but was raised in a devout Muslim home. How did he come to faith? Well, here's what I want you to hear. It was a process that involved lots of different people doing lots of different things. He says this, and I quote, I'm often asked what form of evangelism I believe is the most effective. Because now he's a pastor. He is a pastor. I'm often asked what form of evangelism I believe to be the most effective. But God used a variety of forms in my life. He used a teacher loving and tutoring a kid. He used a guy sharing one-on-one in the cafeteria. He used a guy speaking up for the name of Jesus on the basketball court and an invitation to an evangelistic event and the preaching of the gospel in a church service. I believe in each of these forms of evangelism because God used each one of them in my own life. If you read the article, you'll see that God used about a half dozen different people over the course of 10 years to lead him to faith in Christ. As a young child there in Houston, he was growing up in a, in a, in a Muslim home, Iranian. He spoke Farsi and not English. And so his parents reached out to a woman to tutor him in English by reading books to him. And he says when he was in the second grade, she gave him a New Testament and said to him, I want to give you, Afshin, I want to give you the most important book that you'll ever read in life. And she, he said, she handed me a small New Testament Bible and said, I want you to keep this. I want you to keep this and promise me that you will hold on to it until later in life. As a senior in high school, he he used the Lord's name in vain on the basketball court. And another guy playing basketball walked over to him and said, I want you to know that Jesus who you just used his name in, in vain is a curse word. He's my God. And then... A few days later, he says he stumbled onto an historical documentary on television about Jesus. Now, these are seldom good, right? They're almost always liberal, but God can use it. He said, I stumbled onto a documentary about the life of Jesus on television. And someone in that documentary said, quote, Some worship Jesus as God, and they're called Christians. That was news to him. Some worship Jesus as God, and they're called Christians. And he said, when I heard that, it made me think about the guy on the basketball court that said, that Jesus is my God, and it caused me to remember the New Testament that my teacher had given me. So he says, that afternoon, I dug that little New Testament out of the bottom of my closet, and he began to read Matthew with a flashlight under the covers at night 
so that his father wouldn't know because his father would be so upset. He said at the same time, another high school student started sitting across from him in the cafeteria at lunch and talking to him about Jesus. None of these people would be aware of each other, but God's using. And he said, I would argue and always remember this, folks. Even if people push back and argue and debate, you don't know what they're actually thinking inside. He said, I would argue and debate with him every day at lunch and then go home and read my Bible again that night. He said, until I got to the book of Romans. Yeah, do we know anything about that? Oh, yeah. Until I got to the book of Romans where he says that third chapter completely changed my life when I read about a righteousness that comes apart from the law and apart from me doing anything for God because it is a gift of God to me. He said just a few weeks later, a guy invited him to a church service where he heard the gospel preached. And he said, I put my faith in Jesus. So here's what I want you to think about. Track with me. Someone gave him a Bible. Someone spoke up for the name of Jesus Christ on the basketball court and said, he's my God. Someone created an historical documentary and put it on the air. Someone walked over and befriended him in a cafeteria at lunch and talked about Jesus. Someone said, I'd love for you to come to my church and invited him to church where he heard the preaching of the gospel. So here's what I want you to consider. Based on your personality and your gifting, we're all different, right? We do not all have to be doing the same thing. But we should all be doing something to point people to Jesus. So ask God, would you be willing to ask God what you could do for people that are around you right now, that are near you, People, maybe the same person that you see at Thornton's where you get gas or you get your big giant diet Mountain Dew with crushed ice. Maybe some of the same people you see at the gym, neighbors, I don't know, coworkers, right? Would you just be willing to say, God, how would you want to use me? Because guess what? He wants to use you. But what you do doesn't have to look like what I do. I, I could go on. I haven't even mentioned things like just handing someone a gospel track, just leaving a track somewhere, just, just maybe engaging online in, a, in an appropriate, gracious, loving way. I don't know what for you would work, but what if every believer was not doing the same thing, but was doing something to point people to Jesus? I've given people Bibles. You can do that. Yes, I've had conversations and you might say, never going to happen. But there's probably something you could do. Why? Oh, here's why, folks. Because even though some mocked, and even though some said, I need more time to think about this, some say it. Believed. I love how verse 34 begins. However, listen to me. Because God is God and did not send his son On a foolish errand. There will always be a glorious however. Always. 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 However. Some believe. Some right in the crowd that might be mocking you. Some some will believe. Some will believe. Some will believe. Some will believe. However, some believe. In fact, I love how the Bible is another way that we realize this is not just 
some book that people made up. You get real names constantly and real cities and real stuff where you can time date this and say, oh, that really happened. There really was a Mars Hill. There really was Areopagus. There really was a council for the Areopagus that was comprised of 30 council members. Guess what? Dionysius was one of 30. There were only 30 council members. Folks, God saved Dionysius. While others mocked and others said, we'll hear you again because we need to think about this. Dionysius, one of the leading philosophers in Athens, believed right then. Why? Because God, by his spirit, is using his people to accomplish his purposes in drawing lost people to himself. We don't do the heavy lifting, folks. He does. He does. He does. And he's still doing it today. And we get to be a part of what he is doing. So what about you? Where are you today? I know some of you think the whole concept of God sending his son into this world to die for our sins and then being raised again from the dead is utterly ridiculous. That might be you. But I want to ask you, don't mock until you've investigated it carefully for yourself. Have you? Have you investigated it carefully for yourself? Others of you say, I have questions. I need more information. Search, search. But you're not doing anything to get more information. It is available, my friends. You want to know more? You want to dig? You want to ask questions? Christianity and the person and works of Jesus Christ can stand up to scrutiny. It does not fall apart at the first poke and the first hard question. But if you sought it out, carefully for yourself, get more information. If you say you need more information before you can make a decision, start by at least reading the four Gospels for yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Slowly... And carefully, with this sole purpose in mind, of this all-important question, who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? But there's some of you sitting here who, who you say this, whether you say it out loud or not, you think it, oh, you Christians have faith. I wish I had that kind of faith, but I don't. Here's what I want you to understand. Oh, but you do. You do, listen to me. You already have faith in something or someone. Or you couldn't keep getting up and living life. You have faith in someone or something. It's just that your faith is not in Jesus. It's either in yourself and what you think you can do. Or it's in someone or something and what you think they can do for you. But you are exercising faith. You've got it. You're placing your faith in something. In other words, what are you building your life around? You don't have all the information you need. You can't see the future. That's faith. You're trusting that that career path will fulfill you. You're trusting that that relationship you're hoping with will fulfill you. You're trusting that image and You're putting your faith in something. You're building your life around something. You are placing the weight of your hopes in 
or on something. The question simply is, what or who? And here's what I want you to know. In all love, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, it will fail you. It will fail you. It will crumble. Nothing in this world, even the best things, were, were ever designed to bear the full weight of your hopes and your sense of purpose and security and comfort and meaning. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can fully satisfy and comfort you and give you the security and hope that you long for in this dark, confusing, broken world. We have a God who broke through the darkness and came down to us. The searching is over. It's time for a decision. Oh God, thank you for coming to us, for being with us, for giving us your son and now leaving us your spirit that's at work all over the world. And oh God, giving us your word that is like no other book that just resonates and rings with truth and clarity and power. Oh God, use us. Give us eyes to see people as people created in your image. Stir us, prompt us, help us know what it would look like for us to point someone to Jesus. Would it be a conversation? Would it be a question? Would it be a, a loving deed, an act of service, showing care? Would it be to pray for someone and say, I'll pray for you? Would it be to give a Bible? Would it be to appropriately and lovingly and humbly get involved online and answer questions? Would it be to produce a documentary that is true to who Jesus is? Lord, show each one of us how you would want to use us for your glory and the good of lost people who desperately need this same hope we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.